Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your host, man who had to do this take a second time because I had the giggles, uh, the ginger Mackenzie, and I'm joined once again by the Canadian B. Arthur, the director extraordinaire, the woman who has been to the actual Eastwick and back. It's me. Autumn Smith. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, dear. Hello. Welcome again from quarantine. We're still locked in, in, our, in our respective homes. We had a great last episode with our friend Lynn, all about Oliver. And now, Autumn, we're going into the West End again with another Macintosh show. Um, yes. And... Autumn, what is it this time? Da 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 da. Witches of Eastwick. That's right. Yes. We're breaking up the cookie jar. That that blockbuster, mind-blowing Macintosh. Musical extravaganza. It was supposed to be a big blockbuster. It didn't come out that way. <laughs> I mean, it did. Uh, it a while, uh, after months. So, I mean, had a decent run. I mean, a lot of people forget that most shows don't need to run like the Phantoms or the Cats or the Les Mis uh, to be considered good. Yeah, like, and they don't all need to, tra- you know, transfer to Broadway. Yeah. This is one of those ones that didn't make it to Broadway. No, which, you know what? I guarantee you Macintosh is still working on a way to get it to Broadway because this show fits on Broadway. It's got that Broadway spectacle like a Mary Poppins or a, or, or any other kind of Disney-ish. Yeah. Show. Like it's got yeah, that. it does. It really does. Mm-hmm. I think if it was going to sell anywhere, it would sell in America. America. Well, you would think it's selling in yeah, so, um, it's it, it's it's said in that apple pie, white picket fence, cookie cutter America that they all of a small town. Yes, I love a little town. Little town, it's a quiet village. Long musical, I know. Long musical. <laughs> Not the same thing. beginning though. In I, it's in my notes. It's in my yeah. notes. Um, so autumn. For those people uh, who don't know, why did you choose Witches of Eastwick to be part of season two? Um, well, initial list you yeah. said your musicals. It's so interesting. I I worked on this musical when I lived in London. I was. <laughs> it sounds so weird uh, going through my sordid history, but. I was working at the time um, at the Gilgood Theater, which was then the Gilgood, I think it's still called the Gilgood. I don't it know. is. Company was just there and they just did the concert there. Right. So I was there working uh, as a spotlight operator on The Graduate with ah! Matthew Turner and Jerry Hall. Mm-hmm. And my boss came to me one day and she's like, would you ever consider a move to another theater? And I was like, mm, okay. And I said, doing what? She goes, well, they need a pyrotechnic safety <laughs> officer at 
<laughs> with the Zabistwick. And like, okay, I, I did kind of a year of technical theater at Ryerson. I, I, <laughs> I was more interested in other things, to be quite honest. Yeah. But uh, I did it, and I was glad I did it. But like, I was like, what does, what do I have to do? Like a pyrotechnic safety officer. And they were like, well, basically you put out fires if they, if they stop. <laughs> and if you watch the original, if, I don't think they have a copy of the original online, but there they were do. a lot of pyrotechnics in that. <laughs> it looked like from the few clips I could see of the yeah. original, that there were, I mean, the production I got to watch was the one I texted you, which is the, the Australian original one. Australian production that unfortunately the last 15 to 20 minutes of it are lost because the audio restarts at the end. So mm-hmm. I don't, I, I didn't get to see the big wedding finale. I, I had to go watch like a amateur production to get, get, get the gist of the end. Get the look at me section. Which is probably why that last song didn't make my list. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a great, one of the best songs on the show. So anyway, I transferred over and I was, I I started there, I think in November. So literally just as it it was still in its, its first like six months. Oh, wow. Of of playing. Mm -hmm. And I had such a great time backstage. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I will never get this opportunity again. Like Like big name. It was huge. I, like, I, and I, it, it was awesome because Lucy Arnaz and I became really good friends and you still talk. Uh, like, uh, we're Facebook friends now. And mm-hmm. I haven't talked to her in a really long time, which is too bad because she, she and I had a, a really great friendship going when we were there. Like I went to her house uh, in New York and her kid came to Stage Door Manor and we would hang out. My, her on, the, on this episode, how to be a guest. Really I know. I, that would have been super, super cool, actually, to have Lucy on this, uh, on this, on this little ditty. Um, but she's, she's a, like an amazing human being. And we would just like chat backstage, really about nothing. Like, <laughs> That's the best. Talk about our days and what, you know, and, and just chill. And it was, it was really great to see the mechanics behind a show of this size from a different perspective. Yeah. Seeing how the magic of it worked. And I would like hang out with the fly guys and yeah, it was really cool because there was a lot of intricate um, fly work in the show. Yes. And a lot of automation. So it was like really great. It was really great. So, Otto, why don't you give us a kind of a little plot rundown? Because some people may not know this musical or know the film or the book. Yeah. All this oh, man. Bond from. Uh, so, Autumn, what is Which Is It This Book about? Well, um, it's about these three women uh, in a small town. That's the other reason why I chose it. Like, when do you get a musical comedy mm-hmm. outside of like Candor and Ebb kind of thing yeah. with? Three outstanding roles for women. Exactly. Actually, four, five. There are five pretty yeah. much leading roles for women. And her daughter, that kind of. And, yeah, and and Felicia Gabriel, right? Yeah. Like just yes. played by the wondrous Rosemary Ash in the original. Yeah. Uh, who was, I think, one of the original Carlottas. 
she was phantom yeah mm-hmm. so and another wonderful human being anyway so um three three women an yep. artist a musician and a, li- a librarian or news news writer yeah. yeah um are friends in a small town and they're alienated from the other people in the town because let's face it they're artists yeah <laughs> so you know people don't get it people don't understand yeah. the life they don't understand the bohemian nature yeah of these women um and they just don't fit the eastwick rhode island mold yeah yeah the, right the butter all america mold yeah they're different yeah yeah. uh yeah so you know they decide that what they need in their lives is a man a man that is just theirs yeah and they through their through their conjuring Mm -hmm. their magical conjuring uh all of a sudden this mystery man buys the lennox property that's been Mm -hmm. up for sale forever yeah and the whole town is abuzz. Who is this person? Who is this person? And it ends up to be the devil in disguise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the disguise is Daryl Van Horn. <laughs> so Daryl Van Horn, as you can imagine, uh, a little bit of a Harold Hill, a little bit of a uh, um, uh, Faustus uh, yeah, Postales character <laughs> comes in mm-hmm. and uh, basically... Uh, <laughs> has an orgy yeah. with all three women and they it's it's he woos them individually but then they like do a lot of hanging out together yes they do very kinky and the whole town is like what is happening yeah. and um uh, uh, chaos ensues and yeah. there's this woman that is trying to take him down felicia gabriel whose daughter uh, is in love with the son of one of the so-called witches who's conjured him. And uh, there's death, there's destruction, there's chaos, there's gossip. Everything that is fun about a small town. And uh, (laughs) they end up ridding, ridding, the witches come together and decide that they need to get rid of him because of they do. everything that he has done and they do and they find that their power is within themselves and with yes. the other yes happy ending exactly not a tragedy at all it could have been a tragedy especially what happens to felicia at the end like if you think about how dark Does anyone that is. really care <laughs> no uh but no, husband doesn't are... even care no, no. I mean, I care. I think she's fantastic. She's wonder. I mean, she's not wonderful, but 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 her character is a lot of fun. And I mean, like just the just what happens to her at the end, you kind of go, oh, like she's, yes, she's I'm not- laughing at you, but oh, what they're what they're doing to you is like torture. It's awful. It's yeah. awful. All the of the cherry pits. Um, she, uh, I I find her an interesting character because she's technically a villain she is she reminds me there's of more the mares from anyone can whistle That's she's it's really interesting because uh the piece is full of villains all of them are, it's, it's not pure actually there are two pure characters the the, the uh, son and the daughter yeah and they get corrupted well yeah the devil's very 
persuasive, you know. He kind of just saunters his way into their to their lives. Yeah. And you know, they they have he has a really look we'll into his uh um person that he has in servitude. Yes. Which is always a very interesting choice for me. Uh yeah. Yeah, so there Talk we about- go. That's that. That's kind of the basic element of Witch of the Beast. Now, had you yeah. seen the film before you moved oh, on? Oh yeah, I saw the film when I was really young, like okay. probably when I was like, when did it come out? I saw it seven. Yeah, I saw it when I was thirteen. Okay, okay, so, there you go. I saw it when it first came out. It was like one of those things that everyone's like, "Oh, you gotta watch this film." Yeah. So well, well I mean, it's got Cher, Michelle Pfeiffer, Susan Sarandon, and Jack Nicholson. I mean, why wouldn't you yeah. want to see that? film no no yeah exactly all right so autumn great now we know the plot uh-huh. uh what it like who are the production people because once again we got a new team this week like so far uh, this this season. might be the only time we mention this team yeah i don't know what else they've done they have done other things have but they? it's not i mean we might we might I, I i'm not familiar as much with their other work I wanted to start, actually, I, as I started Oliver last week with a novelist that penned the piece, I want to do that this week too, because okay. the the source material I, is really interesting. And Cameron McIntosh actually got a list of all these MGM movies. Warner Brothers movies. Oh, Warner Brothers, sorry. Warner Brothers movies. And he was like marking them off and he handed them to these two guys and said, which one do you want to do? And they were like, yeah. oh, which is a V-Spick. That's a great one. Yes. So um, John Updike uh, mm-hmm. is a novelist who wrote the original, which is a V-Spick. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he's, he's a really prolific, was a really prolific writer. He's dead now. But he had hundreds of stories, reviews, and poems in The New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, most famous work is his Rabbit series, which chronicles the life of a middle-class everyman, which I found oh. very interesting. That is interesting. Um, he describes his subject, he has a fascination with the American small town, Protestant middle class. They have a lot of stories to tell. They do, but we don't, we don't really get to hear as much about them. So no. I, because we go, mm, they're fine, they're good, whatever, boring, they're simple. They're simple. move on, boring. right? Yeah. You know, they spend their lives in cubicles and measure out their lives in coffee spoons. What is their story? Yeah. Um, but Updike was, he, rec- he was recognized for his careful craftsmanship, his unique prose style, and his prolific output. He wrote a book a year. Wow. So, yeah. Um, dedication to have that schedule and he was you know, like all of his books focused on pretty much the same thing they all um, looked at the experience of personal turmoil mm-hmm. and um, figuring out how to respond to crises relating to religion family mm-hmm. obligations mm-hmm. and marital infidelity great subjects I know I know. So, um, he, he, he's very distinguished uh, through his attention to the concerns and passions and suffering of average Americans. So I thought that yeah, it was a good launching point, and uh, which is the Beast Week really is a highlight of that. And yeah. 
he, uh, I think there was some feminist backlash because he wrote a lot about the, through the male gaze. Oh, he's a man. He, he yeah, wrote yeah. a lot through the male gaze. But at that time, he's like, you know what? No, I, I, I want to um, write something from a female perspective. So he, he went into Witches Peaceway. Great. I think was a good idea. So that's John Updike, like Pulitzer Prize. Did he win a Pulitzer? I think, yeah, I did. He won the Pulitzer for fiction. Um, then, so the, uh, I'm going to talk about the next, the, the composer and the lyricist book writer as a unit. Because most of their work has been done together. Their, their successful work has been done together. So John Dempsey and Dana P. Rowe. Um, John Dempsey is the lyricist. Rowe is the uh, composer. Mm -hmm. Um, They've had their work um, done all over the world. Uh, Britain, the U.S. They've been produced in Japan, Brazil, and several other countries. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of their work is in musical theater. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they together wrote The Fix, which is where Cameron McIntosh heard about them. I when have it was done at the Donmar. Yeah. So uh, Sam Mendes said, you have to come here and hear these guys. And Cameron McIntosh said, yeah, I got to find something for these two. They're really great. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, it's a bit of a stretch. I'm so glad that Cameron McIntosh loves potential in emerging playwrights. Yes. But a huge West End show, that's, that's a... That's, that's daunting. That's a big, a big leap. A big leap. Anyway, it happened. Way yeah. to go, Macintosh, for taking the, taking the chance. He, so he they did, yeah, he did the that's fix. Funny. They did the fix together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it played in America and, and the UK at the Donmar. Um, they also wrote uh, Zombie Prom. No idea. <laughs> it's a great musical. Okay. It is done prolifically in high schools. Figures. Right. Um, and then they came together and wrote Witches of Eastwick. Um, they, um, they also um, have finished writing in 2012, this is a long time ago, Brother Russia, which is um, a musical about uh, Rasputin essentially. Ooh. And, um, yeah. You would love it. I you would love know. it, you and your Russian history. I've always thought Rasputin make a great musical topic. There you go. It, fascinating it is, uh, here's the plot, plot outline of this. Uh, it is a fourth-rate Russian theater troupe in a desolate potato field north of Omsk. It proves to be led by the seemingly immortal Rasputin. Figures. Ra-ra Rasputin. Yay. Um, and it, it has ties back to Eric Schaefer, who directed Witches of Eastway. So we'll get there. Okay. Um, in addition, John Dempsey, the lyricist, uh, worked with Bobil and Schoenberg on The Pirate Queen. So, Bobil and Schoenberg, of, you know, the, the little known fame of Les Miserables and Miss Saigon. We're going to get to that this season, actually. Yeah. We're doing one of their musicals later on. I still believe that that yes, is true. Ah. 
Um, that was a hint, everyone. Yeah. Clue number one. Clue number one. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dana P. Rowe uh, also composed the score for the ballad of Bonnie and Clyde. Okay. So that's kind of that's kind of where they're at. Yeah. Uh, not not incredibly prolific, but they they've done significant they're work. They work. Yeah. They've done significant work. And Zombie Prom is great. We we should have a listen to that. So it was directed by Eric Schaefer. Eric Schaefer is the co-founder and artistic director of the Signature Theater in Arlington. I think it's Virginia. Yeah, it's Virginia. Yeah, Virginia. Um, So under his artistic leadership, the theater was honored with the 2009 Tony Award for Outstanding Regional theater that's pretty impressive yeah that is that's pretty impressive they do a lot of Um, song time apparently which i'm like they they do a lot of rematching of song time productions which i'm like good for you yeah yeah he has uh, i won't even tell you the shows that he's directed at the signature because i'm sure it's plenty it's a lot but he's he's directed on broadway gigi and mm-hmm. critically acclaimed Follies. There you go. There you go. Um, as well as the Tony Award-winning Million Dollar Quartet, mm-hmm. Glory Days, and Putting It Together. Off-Broadway, he's directed Sweet Adeline uh, mm-hmm. and Under the Bridge. Mm-hmm. And his West End credits include Million Dollar Quartet and, of course, Witches of East Way. So that is the production team, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, Macintosh produced. This is a Macintosh produced production. We're still yeah. saving him because we have a bigger show, one of his big ones that we're covering this season, that where we will give you the proper bio. Okay, so you kind of alluded to the beginnings of it where Kimber Macintosh, well, really, this started before um, uh, 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 he, he got the catalog because this all came from the fact that his previous show, Kimber Macintosh's previous show, Matern Gare, with Alain Boublil uh, and Schoenberg. And Maria Friedman. And also Maria Friedman was not the biggest hit at the box office, which is too bad because that music is gorgeous. But yeah, so that didn't do too well. So he was looking for kind of like his redemption big hit box office show because, you know, he's Cameron McIntosh. He's, he, he's got a reputation to uphold. I mean, by this point, he had done Saigon, Cats, Phantom, Lame Is. He had four big names under his belt. He had been reviving Oliver in the West and that, that had been successful. So like he was on a on a hit track, basically, and Martin Gare kind of didn't live up to those standards for him. So he's on the redemption path, and he goes and gets a film catalog from Warner Brothers of their hit films. He circles a dozen, about a dozen of them. One of them, and the last ones being, which is the least because the book is in alphabetical order. Uh, as you said, he had seen The Fix, uh, with Dempsey and Rowe and thought, ah, okay, let's get a new project for them. So he gives them the catalog without telling them what he had chosen. And sure enough, they both land on the project of Witches of Eastwood because for Dempsey and Rowe, they were like, oh, great, a show we can write uh, with really strong female characters. And like, when else do you get that chance to have three female leads, basically? Uh, with like one main guy. It's like very rare. So they're like, well, it's an opportunity we, we definitely want to take. Macintosh was like, okay, 
So the writing process for Dempsey and Rowe began with them buying a book of the sites of New England. So they went through the whole book, basically uh, sticky noting it, saying this is Suki's house, this is the church. Because what they did was they took inspiration from the settings. Like they would look at a picture of that church and go, okay, what's the story behind that church? Where can we get a song about that in there? So that's where, that's where they started. And ultimately in four months, they had the outline and six songs. And five which of those they songs kept, which those six songs they kept pretty five. much stayed as yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kept five that like I'm not sure what the sixth one was that got dropped, but but Macintosh says that five out of the six were hits in, in his eye and they stayed. Yeah, they went the whole show. So good for them. That's mm -hmm. a rare to have that from your original outline to opening night. You got five songs that stuck. Yeah, with very little modification. Like, yeah. they they wrote them and they were just in the show, as is. There you go. Like, that's, mm -hmm. like that's a nice treat for sure. Um, so, that, so they're writing, they're working on it. Cameron Rantosh needs a director. So he hops across the pond and recruits Mr. Eric Schaefer, who, as we said, uh, is a uh, well-known director. He was, he was at the time directing at the Signature Theater in Virginia, and he, he was known to Cameron McIntosh because of his recent r revivals of different Sondheim shows that had been receiving good reviews. So he was like, oh, this guy, he can do it. Like, well, he know, also did The Fix. He did the like, he did, he did the premiere of The Fix. Exactly. So there you go. So once again, that all kind of lives in that world. But yeah, so basically, the first thing they did for Schaefer was they gave him the same book uh, that 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 uh, Dempsey and Rowe had been working with, and from that book, because they had, it was the same book with the sticky notes, it went on to you. The new Bible goes on to you, and he uh, to help himself as well as the cast, he created a map of the town. Like he figured out the whole outline of the town, so they could so he could create a proper community, mm -hmm. um, which is like very similar to what Jerome Robbins did with. Fiddler on the Roof, where he worked with the cast to make sure that they had the community built in and that every ensemble member knew their name and their profession within the community to really create that community. That's one of those, it's one of those other rare musicals where the ensemble stays the same character from beginning to end. They're not, they're not like 10 different no. people. They are Bob the mechanic or, or, or Sue the housewife. It's like, right. Or Brenda. Brenda, Brenda Paisley. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like they stayed yeah. that way. So, uh, so then next came the cast. Uh, so they, they were happy to get uh, Ms. Lucy Arnaz, who is the daughter of who, Autumn? Lucille Ball and Tessie Arnaz. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so she lady, I cannot, you know, it was, it was a full circle moment for me, Mac, really? because when I was, when I was nine, no, I was younger than that. When I was like seven, yeah. my first dance solo yes, ever, ever in my 20 year dance, uh, really? legacy, yeah. um, was to a Lucy Arnaz song. It was to. <gasps> Playing our song. That's right. And we share that on our 30-day song playbill yeah. challenge. And uh yeah, it's the one that throws me back every time. Mm -hmm. And I still remember some of the dance moves. But 
it was so, it was that surreal moment of having her come into my life. It was like one of those full circle moments that don't happen very often. Yeah, absolutely. And there she was. And just, just an, an incredibly genuine, mm-hmm. awesome human being. Yeah. I, I love Lucy, <laughs> you know, like she's, yeah. she really is. I, I, I am so grateful that she came into my life. She's an, an amazing human being. Lucy, shout out to you. If you ever want to come on and do really? an episode with us, you're more than welcome to. I mean, yeah. you've got a great, fantastic breadth of knowledge, I'm sure, from all the stuff you've done. Oh, oh and now she's doing cabaret. and Yeah. She's just... She, she, was, she was just on tour with Pippin. Yeah. And she was on... It was so weird. Talk about serendipitous moments. <laughs> the day that I sent you... Mm-hmm. that playing our song yes bit and we were talking about which is of eastwick that day yeah. i turned on my tv that night and will and grace one of their final episodes mm-hmm. was a whole i love lucy thing and in yeah. the chocolate factory who else is in but lucy arnaz i lost it. i started to cry i'm like what is this day <laughs> uh, it was a sign you two have to reconnect I think so. Yeah. yeah She's amazing. Yeah. Am- Actually, all of the people were amazing on the show. They- it was a really, really uh, nice cast. They had a great cast in this one. So let's keep going oh, down the line. Okay. Uh, next, we had Joanne Ryan, <laughs> who yeah. recently appeared as Cinderella's mother in Rob Marshall's Into the Woods. Uh, she plays uh, 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 Jane Smart. Yep. Uh, the, ch- the, 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 the musician cellist. Uh, sexually repressed character. And she is one of the only people who was Olivia nominated for the show. Was the only Olivia? Oh, sorry. Sorry. There's one other person who was Lily nominated, but she was the only one out, out of the top three ladies that got the yeah. nomination. Uh, then we have the wonderful Maria Friedman, who has done copious amounts of stage shows, including Joseph Music Technicolor Dream Goat. And she was recently Elaine Peacock in the EastEnders. So I was one of her big recent things. And you used to take the subway with her or, 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 or whatever it's called. The train. Weird, eh? Yeah. I like, love it. Like, when we talk about it, it sounds like it was a big thing, but it wasn't. It was just, like, two people hanging on the... Why not? both lived out of London at the yeah. time. And she was uh, great. She was lovely, so... Yeah. And she plays Suki uh, um, Rougemont. Yes, she does. Uh, and then we have Stephen Tate, the original West End Judas, Jesus Christ Superstar, and he plays Clyde Gabriel, the the long suffering husband of Felicia Gabriel. Yep. Who is played by Rosemary Ash, uh, who was yeah. who is one of the original Carlottas, and a whole bunch. Like she is once again, I want to know. Um, she's come on to do Lamez a number of times in the West End, a different yeah. cast. Uh, but yeah, she's fantastic. So she comes on as well as the villainous Felicia Gabriel. And then you have, I don't know, I think I may pronounce his name wrong because it's Swedish. Uh, but you have Peter Jobak. Jobak. Jobak, who is a world-renowned international Swedish singer. Pop star. star. He is a pop star. Yeah. I love me some Peter Jobak. He is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And he plays uh, Michael Stopford. He's lovely. 
Yeah. He is so lovely and he can sing and he can dance and yeah. he looks good. Like, let's face it, Peter well, Yobek, well, well, he looks good. Well, he was there to be the teen heartthrob and he did his job yes. well. And uh, like in comparison to the guy that did in the Australian version. Yeah, he wasn't that great. That whole version was not very great, but we'll, we can talk about that. Yes, we will get into that. Um, and then to round up the cast, you have, the, you have the man, the myth, the legend, the devil himself. Lovejoy. Yeah. Ian McShane. Ian McShane. As Daryl Van Horn. What a guy. And the what reason, a guy. He, he is a guy. He is a guy. I'm sure, Autumn, you have many backstage stories about him that you could tell. No, I do. We have a production story that we are saving for a particular moment uh, that we are leading into. Oh, oh, that sounds interesting. Now I'm intrigued. What is it? Just kidding. Yeah, I know. You know, you know. Eventually, I know. Uh, But yeah, yeah, I mean, you machine the the man with the beautiful eyes, uh, and and the wonderful smile. And Uh, you know what? He he really is one of the classiest, nicest guys. Like, he would just go above and beyond to make everyone feel welcome and part of the the community. He's a really spectacular human being. And, you know, now that I've watched a couple of other versions online, no one, no one can play this role like him. Well, there's a reason why he was originally cast. Well, and, like... like, He's charismatic. Like, Like, he has that Jack Nicholson... Yes, quality about him that nobody else really gets. Where it's, that... it's like a sexy, dirty. Do you yes. know what I mean? Yeah, like menacing, but also really hot. Yeah. Well, it's this thing. Well, it's thing of what, what where like you can either play a villain or you can play one of those kind of like misunderstood villains. Where it's like, okay, yeah. like, and do you know? Funny, funny that we talked about Oliver last week. Yes, Lionel Bart actually said to Cameron McIntosh at one point, remember this, Ian McShane can sing. Right? And and that's what Cameron McIntosh came back to. He's like, oh, yeah. Ian McShane. <laughs> Ian McShane. And, and uh, yeah. that was actually my next note in, in my production notes was that Ron mm. Hart was the underlying force uh, to get him cast. Actually, Ian McShane would have been a great Bill Sykes. Oh, 1,000%. The younger Ian McShane. Yes. For the role of Bill Sykes. Like, he would have 1,000%. Oh, can you imagine him singing my name? Like, he would have been menacing as hell. Yeah. So I, why Lionel Bart didn't know that he could sing and cast him, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But he would have brought a lot of something to that role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, um, a, there's a grit that yeah. he has that is sexy it's yeah great. it's great he was a perfect he is like if jack nicholson can't do it get ian mcshane to do it like yeah. they are very similar they possess the same qualities it's very yeah. interesting and the other reason why macintosh ultimately ended up casting ian mcshane was because he wanted his daryl van horn to have the same voice that is both singing and speaking it has yeah. that kind of same look to it so that's why he was cast yeah. Uh, so the first time the three witches actually met uh, was when they were doing test orchestrations for the song "Make Him Mine" for yeah. for for uh, a promo at the London Palladium. Um, so talk about you're throwing right into the deep end. 
All right, three ladies who have never met, who have never sung together before, you're going to sing the big trio number of the show. And we'll oh. see what you do. Um, so they did that. <clears throat> uh, during rehearsals, things seemed to uh, be ever-evolving. There was a number called Out of Step that was swapped with the other uh, group production number, which is Dirty Laundry, which we're going to yes. get Yes. Yes, we will get to Dirty Laundry. Yeah, that is a great number. Um, and then the one particular hurdle the show had that they always had to, they had, they had to get over was the flying system because act one ends if you have never seen the show with the three women in oscar night ball gown dresses flying out over the audience over the audience um this is where we're now gonna cut to you with your my favorite ian mcshane story that when you first told me it in a restaurant look at it with laughter he did it more than once and it was, it was classic every time. It never got old. <laughs> he would be, so there were a lot of trucks on stage that would, that would move, there a lot of automation. Mm-hmm. And the witches would fly over the audience. And there were a couple of instances when something would get stuck. And, you know, there would be like this pause. Yeah. And like Lucy Arnaz or someone, someone else, one of these other big, theater actors would be on stage with him and you know we'd all just like stop and go okay what's gonna happen yeah and every time like clockwork he would stop the show and he'd be like hello everybody my name is ian mcshane as you can tell the set instead of just going going on he would he would stop and be like hello my name is Ian McShane, and this <laughs> you didn't know who he was is a problem. <laughs> I'm glad that you came to join us in Eastwick this evening at the Theatre Royal. Like he would totally break, and he, you would see the ire coming over the other person on stage with him. And stage management was like, "What the is he doing?" And they'd be running back and forth. And then the one time. Uh, the witches got stuck. Like the the gears on the flying equipment got stuck. Oh. So they were hanging over the audience. <laughs> they couldn't leave. There was nowhere for them to go. They were stuck. And they're just doing things. this. And they're like. <laughs> and he's like, well, hello, everybody. I'm Ian McShane. Uh, the witches are just going to hang out above you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and, and they had no option but to join him and it was hilarious it i'm was, sure the loathing from those moments was palpable you know they're like Ugh, can't deal with it <laughs> and it happened it happened when i was there at least four or five times oh wow this was like a perpetual problem they looked at the documentary about the flying well it, it wasn't even the flying it was like if a, a door got jammed coming in or didn't leave right he would stop the whole show (laughs) and say i am ian mcshane i loved it i thought it was it's very devilish of him it's almost like he knew that it was going to piss people off and he just did it anyway i don't think that i think he was just like well we have a technical difficulty i'm going to entertain because that's what i do like he's not a he's not malicious in any way no so it was it's 
kind of sweet. <laughs> but it sent everyone else into a state of absolute chaos. It was great. Yes. It was, um, I wish I had had a cell phone to back record then that to moment. Record it. I wish. You know what? Like, like, there's a time machine moment you need to go back to just to I know. film that moment and release it to the public. I know. Hello, I'm Ian McShane. But yes, there's that infamous production story we alluded to in season one when we first talked about this show briefly. Uh, Your love, Joy, it's all up to you. Yeah. We love you. Uh, but speaking of flying, the other person who struggled with this was designer Bob uh, Crowley because his direction was these women need to be in evening ball gowns. And yet he comes on to the rehearsal and sees that basically in these mountain gear climbing harnesses. And he's like, what the heck am I supposed to do? Somehow he magically worked it that you could have both. Um, and from there, uh, the show opened in the West End on July 18th, 2000 at the Theatre Royal, Drury Lane. Yes. Uh, yes. To mixed and positive reviews. It was decided uh, they needed a more intimate theater. So the show moved venues uh, down the road, basically, to the Prince of Wales Theater on March 23rd, 2001. Mm -hmm. And um, did you make the move to that theater? No, I was already back in Canada. Ah. It is a uh, but uh, everything happens for a reason. It's true, because basically when the transfer happened, Ian McShane left. Yeah. And that paved the way for Earl Carpenter, his understudy, to take the lead. And Earl Carpenter is a wonderful man. He I was the auctioneer in The Phantom. Running Javert, I think. Like, I think out of all the Javerts, yeah. he clocked, clocked the most performances. The point yeah. was like, I'm done. Basically, like unless it's a special occasion where like, you really need to come back, I'm not doing this role anymore. No, which I'm like, okay, fair enough. But yeah, he kind of paved his or cut his teeth on which is a V streak. It kind of got him a little bit more on the map. Yeah, Macintosh was like, okay, this guy can do it. Um, during the transfer, a number of lyrics and scenes were revised mm -hmm. uh, or changed, like the song uh, "Who's the Man." was cut from the end of the show and, were, and was placed with the rousing gospel number, The Glory of Me, uh, which we will get into. Uh, when the man, or when the man, when the main cast uh, changed in July 2001, only Joanne Riding stayed on as she had received her Olivier nomination. She was like, okay, I guess I'm staying for that. Um, <laughs> Joe received four Olivia nominations, including Best New Musical, Best Actress for Drew and Redding, Best Supporting Actress for Rosemary Asp, which is rightfully deserved for the amount of magic tricks she has to do in the show, uh, and Best Lighting Design. But the show won none of those awards, and after a 15-month run, it closed on October 27, 2001. So, I mean, a, so I mean a, a year and a half, basically, like a year and a bit. Which is like, it is, it is that, a musical right? comedy. Yeah. And as much as people were craving a musical comedy, I don't think they were craving a traditional musical comedy. No, and I don't think, like, yeah, you're right. Musical comedies ha ha um, ha have a lifespan where it's like, okay, I've seen it. I, yeah. I don't need to keep coming back. Like, Les Mis will keep bringing you back because of the story. The story is something yeah. that drives people to come back. It has that rewatch factor where, like, on top of the barricade, 
in the turntable back then when it was first out. Now they don't have a turntable anymore, which kills me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the original production was the whole thing of, hey, you all got to see this amazing barricade scene. And hey, the music is great. And hey, the story is top notch. So, yeah. which is a beast to it. Yeah, it's got a cool effect of them flying and all the other magic. It's, but it's, it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's flat. Cute. Yeah, it's, 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 there's no, it doesn't make, it doesn't challenge us. And as much as we say, oh, I want to go to the theater to be entertained. Mm-hmm. That is the, the mass, that's the populace uh, thought. Yeah. Anyone that goes to the theater that just wants to be entertained is not getting what theater's purpose is. No, theater is meant to question and challenge. You're meant it to- is. But people unknowingly want that when they go to theater, even if they want to be entertained. That's why things like hairspray mm-hmm. fare really well. Well, it's a mix. It, 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 it's yeah, a mix. it's a mix. Even Mamma Mia. It's a hybrid. Is, it's pretty much a hybrid. It also is using incredibly popular tunes. Yeah, but it's it also has older women. Yeah, kind of like Witches of Eastwick. They came out too close together. Mm. I have a feeling if Eastwick came out first, it would have had a longer shelf life. Probably. Probably. But you're absolutely right. Um, But it's also not as good as Mamma Mia. No. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Like, it's an original. Mamma Mia Mia is not an original musical. I mean, the, the story is, but the music is not. No. Um, but I think uh, it's really oh, smart with what they did, taking those songs and working them into an original story where it's organic. Like, uh, I, I, like, how, like, how else are you gonna get something like Mamma Mia into a show? And yet they found a way to make this yeah. story about a wedding work. Well, and it was and sweet, and wedding. it's saccharine, and it's, it's kind of that. like the Hallmark musical. Yeah. Let's call it the Hallmark musical. I want to admit, I am a fan of Mamma Mia. I will happily go see the stage show of that because it's fun. And and the family story, the mother-daughter story, which is once again a rare story that gets told. Unless uh, unless, unless the mother's like an evil Mama Rose where she's fighting against the daughter, you don't get a nice mother-daughter story. And this is a show that's like, Mamma Mia is a show that's like, ah, okay, this is like a nice mother-daughter story. And which would be, so could have been really interesting with the mother-son story between, what's her name? It's, it's Alex, right? Yeah, it's Alex, <laughs> like Alex and Michael. And, and they don't actually have a duet in the show. There's no mother-son moment, which is like a missed opportunity in my opinion. That, that, that needed to be there to kind of give- Yeah, you're right. That a little bit more weight, or, or, or you could have had after, what, Jennifer is, 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 is Felicia's yeah. daughter, right? They spent too much time giving credence to Daryl Van Horn. Yeah, he, he needed to be, he, they needed to cut him a little bit more, like make him a little more of a mysterious farce. Yeah. Figure. He needed to be, he needed less, and a, little, and a little bit more focus on the women. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, the show though, even though it closed in October 2001, has had a life beyond. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was then mounted in Australia, Russia, and the Czech Republic. Uh, and the musical premiered in the U.S. in 2007 at the Signature Theater in Arlington, Virginia, once again directed by Eric Schaefer. Yeah. And this time, uh, it got great reviews. 
from everybody. Uh, it was a limited engagement that ran from June 5th, 2007 to July 15th, 2007. So a little over a month. And Dempsey and Rowe once again made more changes. Uh, they abbreviated Eastwick Knows, they cut I Love a Little Town, and added Your Wildest Dreams. And people seemed to really like these changes and went, okay, this is kind of your version. Like, this is the best you've done. So I like those two songs. I don't know, like, Eastwick Knows. Eastwick is Eastwick knows is fantastic. So Autumn, why don't you tell us what is your first experience with this show? Even though we've kind of already talked about well, it. Well, I've kind of already talked. I feel like I've worn it out. Yeah. Uh, my first experience was working on it. In the West End. In the West End. Actually, I saw it um, before I started working on it. Obviously, I, basically, yeah. you have to see it. So yeah. I think I saw it trying to think when I started working on it. maybe it was like September it was very soon after it opened okay. that I started working on it um yeah it was, great. It was really it. great uh great great experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. everybody should do what you do go over to London work in a West End show or two come back to Canada okay so oh. uh, I came to this show in a totally different way <laughs> I was doing my ever like ever so briefly my almost half a year Macintosh iTunes binge where I would just go through iTunes and see, you know, what Macintosh production had a new recording. That's how I have so many recordings of Lena's, Phantom Cats. But sure enough, the one time I went through, I went, Witches of Eastwick, what the heck is this? So bought the album, listened, and I was like, okay, all right. I watched the movie in at York because it was part of, it, because it was in the movie rental catalog so I had a Friday night to myself in my room so I just decided to rent Witches of Eastwick because I was like what else am I going to do watched it loved it uh, and then it wasn't until you told me your amazing Ian McShane story that I was like <laughs> okay now I really have to go back and do some digging on this so I did and I watched all the press clips and the bootlegs and the everything just get a sense of the show because I've never seen it live but it's definitely a show I would love to see live you know where this show is perfect it's perfect for community theaters mm, yeah. like 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 because it's so much about communities and mm -hmm. the small town and that examination of it mm -hmm. I think I think this should be a mainstay in community theater repertoire I would love to see community theaters doing this. You know what? We could swap out Music Man for this because I've seen enough Music Man productions in community theaters that I'm like, let's let's Yeah, on. they're kind of interchangeable. Yeah. The stranger comes into the small town. And it's fun. It's got like an edgy sexuality to it. You yeah. know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things happening in this in this musical. Far less problematic than Music Man. Music Man has got some serious book problems that need fixing that i guess i don't know i love music man i love music man too but I, but I but i know some people have some really big problems with that book where people go this is not like it ends weird sadder but wiser's in there the song shapoopy is out is outdated there's a whole bunch of people who are trying to rework it which i'm like eh, don't touch yeah. music man Witches of Eastwick is a lot like Music Man. It's like a contemporary Music Man. It is. And like the outsider coming in and creating chaos, right? And yeah. shifting the dynamic of the small town. Yeah. 
and challenging, you know, their perceived idea of themselves. I think it's very, uh, and making them fight harder than they've ever had to fight. It's very much a dark version of Music Man, where like mm-hmm. where Harold Hill is not a nice guy deep down. He is a devil. <laughs> he is. Evil. Oh, there's something very Mephistopheles about him. There's a there's a, a snake charmer in a way, you know, well, like this look old... at all the songs he sings. Like there's the one that he sings in the bar where he teaches all the men to how to hook up with women. Like oh yeah, Dance with the Devil. Dance with the Devil. No, like, all those songs. Like he is. He's a con man. He's a yes. con man. Yes, he's a con man with some magic tricks up his sleeve. With a, uh, a small person as his servant. Which ties back to that original devil and minion idea that you see. Which I hate. I really hate it. I do too. And I, I watched that documentary and I was like, why do we have this? I, there's no reason. And I watched the Australian version, and it's so derogatory. Yeah. Like, I love that little guy. I'm like, this is awful. Awful. I can't, like, watching him with a fresh eyes, I'm like, and the guy, G. Williams, who played Fidel in, uh, on the West End, like, just a, a great guy. Yeah. I'm like, thinking, can't we write better parts for... For all people, it'd be nice. Yeah, it would that's, be nice. that's my thought on that. Perfect. Because okay. I was watching it, I was kind of offended. Yeah, yeah, that part of the show hasn't aged well. But Autumn, what are your top three songs? Well, my first one mm-hmm. is something in my notes here. My first one is something. That made my other list. I love this song. I love it. It is the one I always sing. And it pops up in my mind every so often. And I'm like, something. I love it. And I used to watch it from backstage. I'd be like, oh, this is so gross and cute. That's the issue. Like, I, 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 I like that the song captures that youthful, young Sandy and Danny from Greece yeah. love, but I'm like, it's so generic that it's like. But part oh. of it is the direction. Like, like, it was, like, it was just boring. And, and you could tell this was meant to be the song that was going to be the big breakout. Yes. Hot, hot single of the show. Yeah. It was like, clearly that didn't happen. And like, for a good reason, it was the most generic boring love song like every good love song is a little different every time like people will say we're in love it's a fighting love song can you feel the love tonight it's a beautiful soaring love ballad that yeah that that, that's a conflict song too because it's that can i tell her can i not tell her what like what's he thinking but i think i think that's present in the actual song 
I don't think it was present in the way it was interpreted. Mm, there you go. The whole show was very general. Yeah. I, it, there's no depth in the product, any production I've ever seen of it. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, even Joanna, even Joanna who received the NBA <laughs> nomination, yeah. there's no complexity. No, no. Uh, like there was no struggle whether or not, you know, I just, I, it was a broad stroke. Yeah. Shtick. Yes. It almost is like watching a commedia uh, without any political ramifications. Yes. That's exactly yeah. what it's like. And for me, I don't find that interesting. So rewatching it and revisiting it, mm -hmm. I was like, well, I know I chose this because of sentimental value. It's okay. Sentimental value goes a long way. It sells shows. But nostalgia's big. Piece, the piece could have potential. That is a thing that irritates me about it mm -hmm. because it there is something very interesting about women thinking they need a man to be fulfilled mm -hmm. and the idea that they conjure up this thing that meets all women's needs. Like what is that generic man. thing? Mm -hmm. And the fact that he's evil mm -hmm. is striking. Yeah. And the villain, this, this woman who runs the town and has the money, and she's the villain of the piece because she's a successful woman. And, and, and she also is an um, environmentalist trying to save the, these endangered birds. Yes, yes. Like you would think in most shows, I'd be the hero of the story, but they paint her as this evil witch woman that even her husband doesn't like. I think so he was murdering her with a frying pan. Well, because she, she too, in a way, doesn't fit the mold. Mm. Like she doesn't fit, she, she doesn't fit the, you know, good wife. Stereotype. No, yeah, she's out there controlling right? the and she's leading the, leading the charge. Yeah. And it's interesting looking at female villains in comparison to male villains. Oh, you can that. Female villains are always the strongest woman. Like look at Ursula. Ursula's oh. Little Mermaid. Yeah. She knows what she wants. She's very clear about her intentions. Yeah. She wants the, to roll the ocean, and she yeah. will get it at any cost. Yeah. And I think Maleficent, not the, not the Angelie version, because that's not Maleficent, but the original cartoon version that you watch in the 50s. Like, she came in as a badass, where it's like, yeah. Where it's like, you didn't invite me to the party? Well, screw you. Your daughter is now cursed to die. And I'm going to become a dragon at the end because you're thwarting my plan. Like, Well, oh it's, they're complicated. Yes, even Lady Tremaine and Cinderella. Another great villain. That, and Kate Blanchett did a great job of updating that villain where it's like, of course she's, she's not evil. She's just opportunistic for her family. And, and it's also, hmm. it's complicated. Yes. It is these characters are complicated yep, and yep. we don't get the complication in this show. It's missed. That's what drives me nuts about it, but I'm glad we're having it as a conversation because they could be complex. And you know, they great. add a number for the three women and Felicia, where they're kind of all going at it with each other for in the second or half. Or even have them 
talk about like put an I want song in that mm-hmm. Felicia's part of yes do you know like instead of uh, it's hard to love them it's hard to love the witches even yeah they're not yes. they're not the nicest people yeah no what even character says she wants to smack all the kids who are in love at, at the top of the show where it's like oh you're a teacher but yet you're <laughs> you despise love and you want to smack the kids who are in love it's like oh you're not all that no. enjoyable and, and you're gleefully laughing at the murder of this woman no but that's why i like something because it's it's the one thing that doesn't really fit in this musical and it's very sweet and i it's you know it's just about two people finding each other there's there's something and Mm -hmm. they can't explain it and it's inexplicable and it's uh, you know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's like a song that has a million ellipses in it that's true but it's not done that way and i think needs to be I, I, I think if I saw it that way, I would like it more. But yeah, I, I hate to say it. When I watched this musical the first time, I thought, oh, this show needed a good director. Oh. And that was what I thought, and it's still what I think. And I think... Uh, I it's you. You got to direct the show. Sure, whatever. I don't know. Got to step up and do it. I just think someone that can find the nuance in it. Mm-hmm um and like eric does i'm surprised i'm surprised eric schaefer could not do that well he does sondheim yeah about complex but sondheim also gifts you with the complexity that's true that's true he never had to create it he all he he was he was given it already because this music was already created yeah like i had to create it for himself and when you're working on a big mega show with Cameron McIntosh and a whole bunch of other people, I'm sure they tried, but it was <coughs> too many cooks in the kitchen. Where are we going with this? The vision is going one way. You want to go another way. Well, you're also new to the West End. Like yeah, you, you are a young, younger director, mm-hmm. your younger composer. Yeah. Whatever you want, we'll give you. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he probably went, Martin Gare was very heavy. Can you just give me something that's light and fun? Yeah. You know? So you're right. It is about cooks in the kitchen. And it was about throwing tricks onto something. Like the flying was a new trick. Mm-hmm. Because Cameron McIntosh will even say, you know, this was not one of my higher automated shows. It was no Miss Saigon. There was no barricade to build. There was no chandelier falling. What yeah. is the trick? What is the McIntosh mm-hmm. mechanic? Yes. We'll call it that I can throw into the show uh-huh. that will make it. Well, you see uh, where he took his, well, he took his lessons from Eastwick and he put them on Mary Poppins because there's a lot of magic tricks in Mary Poppins. And at the very end, she flies out over the audience successfully. Well, they, they flew most of the time successfully. I have to say, and watching them fly, it was like, that is awesome. That is, and like things were blowing up on stage. And that church at the end just totally blows up, which is great. Once again, magic, magic, magic. It really does. That's where the fires came in sometime. I was about to say, I, if, yeah. any, if any place it would, it would be for that. I would just stand there with my 
fire extinguisher. My extinguisher ready for action. They'd be like, Autumn, it's time. Autumn, Autumn, it's time. <laughs> so something is my favorite. I, I there's there's some there's something about it. If I see I, a version of it like you described, then it will get on the other list. But until then, it stays on my hate list. Not hate, skip list. Like, uh, there's no song I hate in the show. There's songs I will skip. Um, my number one, though, is words, words, words. I'd like to talk about my fantasies by light of evening star. I'd like to talk about a lot of things. And Suki, dear, you are. But words, 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 words. I'd like to talk about the world I never get to see from home. I'd like to talk about Caracas and the Pleiades of Rome. I'd like to talk about the rise. I'd like to talk about the fall. I'd like to talk about the doings at your basic bacchanal. Oh, not that I approve, but when it's all been said and done, I mean, you gotta give them this. The Roman sure can have some fun. I love it. I do love it. It's not on either of my lists. Oh, no, I'm surprised because because you because you brought it up to me and made me revisit it when we did our first episode. And I do like a good pattern song. And it's it's interesting because it's it, it's very relatable. Where it's like when you're with someone you really like and you think of all the things you want to talk about and say, then you get there and you're like, no words come out. But yet in your head you're like. Like spinning, like your wheels are spinning because you're like, I want to talk about this, I want to talk about that. Like, yeah. and that's what that song is, where Suki's trying desperately to figure out what she wants to say. And it's he's a writer. Yes. So, so the irony is therein lies the irony. And I think of anyone. Yeah. Actually, of all of the witches, mm-hmm. I like Suki the best. I agree. Suki's my favorite too. Like there's fun about her. Where, well, where, there's fun, but there's there. She has a bit of complexity. Yes. Like, uh, yeah. Like, and it. She. She played caricature as well. Maria Friedman did. But well, yeah. when she got to loose ends mm-hmm. in Act Two, you saw this unraveling. I close my eyes. I fade to black. I hide my face, I turn my back, and there are these loose ends to deal with, loose ends. I clear my throat, I give a smile, act unconcerned, when all the while they're haunting me, loose ends to tie up, loose ends, like buttons and bows, we collect them from family and And I actually, I like that song too. I do like Loose Ends and I know they cut it. I don't know why um, they did. I don't know either. I, 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 it's a great button for Suki. It gives her that moment. Yeah, no one else gets the button though. Maybe that's what they were thinking, but whatever. I liked it. I liked that song. I did too. So bad choice for taking that out. Yeah. I will say the song is also neat because it's a soliloquy on one hand, plus also, plus also, it's an I want song. It's a soliloquy. It's it's a basically another three, and it's a comedy. It's 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 a it's a, it's a, com- it's a comedic. It is uh, duet. So it's a three prong song where you got these three different 
areas you're going into all at once and, it, and it's a tour de force if you watch like unfortunately the australian version was way too slow it did oh, yeah. not have that speed that was needed to make that song pop <laughs> um, but when you see it done right it's almost like watching not getting married today where it's that yeah it's it's like that's what's impressive about it plus also any song that has lyrics about batman that's a winner right there if you can get batman into a song i know i know and Maria Friedman kills that song. Like, she slays that bass. She'd never done a patter song before. And they're like, you want a patter? She's like, okay. I will do my best. <laughs> and she did. And she, I, I would watch Stand Backstage like this. Every night. You're, you're like, is she going to trip up? Is she going to do it? I'm like, what's going on? It's crazy. I was, I, uh, it's athleticism. Yeah. It's vocal athleticism. Absolutely. What it is at its finest. Yeah. No, I'm no. sure, I'm sure she was doing tongue twisters backstage before every oh. scene leading up to that moment. Cause it's like your, your tongue and your mouth have to be so warmed up. I would be like, I don't even, I would lose the words because I'd be so lost in the words. All right, what's your number two? Look at me. I like that they finally get a moment to actually look at themselves. There's a reflection and each other and see the value in themselves. And I'm sorry you didn't get to see the end. Not the good version of the end, but no. yeah, like, but I, but I, but I listened to the album, so I, I know the song. Yeah, it's great. But between that song and I actually chose their other song from Act One. Make Him Mine. Yes, as my number two. Make him mine, make him mine, make him handsome as the devil, yet perfectly divine. Make him mine, the ultimate companion, the ideal design, a matter of man and one man. Make him mine. Yeah, it's good too. They're yeah. very thematically, they're very similar. Like, like, uh, book ends to each other. Yeah, totally. I, I, they play off each other. Like, the beginning, they think they need a man. By the end, they realize, ah, oh, no, we got each other. We got yeah. Yeah. Like, like, that's what they do. And what both these songs are really great at is it's a three woman trio, which is not done very often. Like, like, like the only one musical that, as we talked about that kind of does that is Mamma Mia with. Yeah. Rosie, Tanya, and Donya, or Do Donya, Donna. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But so it, once again, it's three. But what, what's neat is this is three lead women, while Mamma Mia is lead to supporting. That's right. This is three lead. And anybody who's been in a trio knows how difficult it is. But when you're three women who are all kind of in the same vocal range, but have different tonality to your voices, 
you got to really work at that to get the blend white. And it's tough. And and, and, uh, like Maria Freeman talked about it in the documentary where she was all about like, yeah, like singing with two other women is the hardest thing I've done because when you're singing a solo or a duet, you you, you get to be you. When you're doing a trio, you now have to be extra cautious and listen to when your cutoffs are, like just like when you're hitting your consonants and vowels because your sound's got to sound right. Like it's tricky. It, it, well, it, it's a tricky um, plate spin you got to do. Well, it was interesting the other evening. Uh, we zoomed our youth chorus at the CCOC, right? And Russell Braun, mm-hmm. like famed global baritone, brilliant, right, right. A Figaro, like played at the Met, amazing. He was saying that. His wife runs a choir, right? Um, is a, a, a like a, a music director at a church, and he often joins the choir because it teaches him how to economize and yes. be part. He goes, I spend so much of my career being a soloist and being this broad, you know, entity vocally. And what is it like to pull back and be part and? listen acutely to others around you yes yeah. it really helps me build my skill set and i think that's probably what maria friedman was was thinking you know you kind of have free reign to play it's like yeah. with a monologue mm-hmm. versus choral speaking okay. like how do you find your individual voice within choral speaking mm-hmm. but still be a valued part of that ensemble yeah it's a it it is a skill set and i'm I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad she mentioned that. Yeah, it, it's tough. It's very tough. And yeah, like both these songs are great that way. Like, like I, 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 we could have gone with either one of these choices and I'm glad yeah. you chose one and I chose the other because they're both very similar, but they both equal the same result where it's three strong women downstage belting it out and it's great. It it's is great. great. And I, the harmonies and like, and, and like, I mean, I love the lyric, all Matt all matter of one man make him mine like that one bit of music well and that comes that comes in at the beginning in the overture yes it does i love that musical motif it's 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 i don't know if it's i have to look at the music but i don't know if it's got like sharps or naturals in it that kind of make it a little sound a little bit different but it's got that magical twinkle to it it does it has sparkle yes yeah, exactly. Which is yeah. great. Which, which is why I, I, I was, yeah, it's fantastic. One hundred percent. All right, Autumn. I think I know your third choice because my third choice is "Dirty Laundry." Mine too. wasn't going to be a number it, yeah, it, it was not the number that was initially intended for this have another one moment and i'm so glad they like it's a great dance number it is old style production number but it works it, it does works. and all the individuals pop out talk about great choral number 
these guys actually wrote really great choral numbers yes, they did. because it allowed for each person to be an individual within the choral structure. Yes. And I love that. It's, it's every person was so different. Yeah. It's so good. And it's jazzy. And you hear the little motifs of Daryl's theme creeping uh -uh. into that uh, tapestry of this, of this town. Yeah, and yeah. it's a toe tapper. It reminds me a lot of um, 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 we're in the money from Forty Second Street. It's we're in the money. Bob Avian and I forget the other choreographer's name yeah. uh, right now. They put in that Broadway push. That yes, I love it. It was yes. good old fashioned. Yeah, number. Well, it's old fashioned in the production number, but the sound is modern with that jazzy flair. And gotcha. then on top of that, the choreography is very modern and. It captured an ode to good old Broadway production numbers. It was. Like it's, there's it's nothing totally staid about it. It's it's no. fun. It's fun. Yeah. Like it's fun. But it's 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 fun, but it's complex because you got the evil other tone to it, where it's showing the small town gossip that goes around, particularly between women in a small town, mm. where where like once something happens, it's it's very similar to the song "Did You Hear" from Anna Green Gables. In the schoolroom, split his head. I think Gilbert's good is dead. He was took by a motor car to Charlottetown. She's a piece of Satan's finest handiwork. She's a vixen. She's a hussy. She's a terror. She's a tartar. We don't want her kindness. Totally. That is we're exactly what it is like. We're, oh, we're, pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, cheep, 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 talk a little more. Pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, cheep, 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 talk a lot, pick a little more. Pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, cheep, 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 cheep. Professor, her kind of woman doesn't belong on any committee. Of course, I shouldn't tell you this, but she advocates dirty books. Dirty books? Chaucer, Rabelais, Balzac. Yes. It's that same type of gossipy song, but with a cool jazz thing where it's like, you get into it with them. Like, yeah. like, like the other two songs, yeah, okay, maybe you'll tap your toe to Did You Hear or, or Pick a Little, Talk a Little. But like here, you, like, you full on buy into that gossipy, like, but town. But way, as on. much as it's catchy, it also villainizes women again. Yeah, it, yeah, it puts them as these, as these as these gossipy sneaky characters where it's like mm, do we have to go that direction with the women but i like it because it's like where else could you do like a fun number about laundry lines yeah i i do love that i love that I, 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 it's a great set with the great um visual of them hanging the laundry like it's like like oh like it's a song that works on all cylinders yeah i just again I wish there was a little bit more gray. Like, mm. I wish 
I wish there was more intrigue. Felicia needed a number in Act One that explained her and her drive more, because because we get her a little well, because we get her in a lot of chorus numbers in Act One, and then in Act Two she has Evil, which is my honorable mention. Evil Clyde, and it feeds by decree on our apathy. Evil Clyde, creeping in without sound. It's not in our homes, in our beds, on our floors strewn with clothes. Like a plague, how it spreads, and pity the woman who knows. Mm. And she dies, because evil is great, because it's that, it's her reacting to all the things that happened. But we didn't get that act one start, a, a book start, where it's like, where did she come from at the beginning? Like, why is she throwing a parade at the start of the show? What happened in this village in the past that made her not like these three women? I just kind of want to, I want to show that, I want, I want them to show why the other women follow her. Like, is well, it kind of like, um, what's her name in, in uh, Music Man? Um, yeah, McKechnie Shin. Yes, Eulalie McKechnie Shin, the mayor's wife, where she's kind of the self-elected first lady of the town. And she's a, once again, she's a strong woman who kind of can uh, call or bring people into do they it. like her do they want to be her like i want them to ask themselves that question see and i don't think that was done you know what a great place for that would have been right after she dies and having the women of the town talk about now like what do we do we've lost our leader and we still got this problem in the town or do we still have a problem in this town was it her or was it the women like, i had a moment a great place to reprise dirty laundry they do have a reprise there but it's not they the do. same they do but it, but it's not no great it's, it's underwhelming it's, then yeah it, 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 it doesn't have the same punch of of where it's like oh we actually gotta like talk about oh we've lost our leader what do we do like what's gonna happen to us now like you, you could have done a lot more with this uh show but yeah dirty laundry great song yeah, and i love it i just it have, i wish it were a little bit more complicated yes That's, yeah and I, and I will say my honorable mention is the song Evil from Act 2 because yeah. the magic tricks that uh, Felicia has to do is she's popping candlesticks and coins and spiders out of her mouth at the end. Cherry pits. Yeah. Cherry pits. And what happens to her when she like leans over the sink? Because it looked like blood was blowing out of her head at one point in the, in the Australian production that I saw. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But it's, it, it's right before she gets hit by the frying pan. Which, which comes up with the great one-liner right afterwards, which is, thank God for not stick pans. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is so funny. But once again, it's dark, because it's domestic abuse. Like she, do, like, she emotionally abuses her husband, and he, and he beats her at the end. Or, or she's pleading for help from him, and his first thought is, whack her with a frying pan. Well, they have kind of that who's afraid of Virginia Woolf relationship, right? Absolutely. Like that is exactly who they are. Yeah. They, they could be their own little, you know. Side story musical right there between these two. Totally. People. Because clearly he doesn't, because clearly at the beginning of the show, he comes out with a noose around his neck. <laughs> As if he's going to hang himself, which is. Which is a bit obvious. It's a bit obvious. And it's, it, I, I mean, I'm glad at the end he, he has a one moment where he gets to be himself and he has a moment of finding himself where he has the number in the bar with Darrow and he, he gets his courage, but ultimately she kills him off yeah. with, with the, um, 
pie uh, and the garbage. Or, yeah, yeah. That's the technical name. There you go. But yeah, great moment in the show. And, yeah. and, and it's magical. It's magical watching her spit all these things out. I don't know how she does it. Like, I don't know where she's hiding it. Because I watched the scene many times and like, she never puts her hand to her mouth to be like, aren't stick it in there. No, so no. she's got it all filled it, like, well, she has it all in her cheeks. And she's having to sing with it in her cheeks and then like, finding the right island up, spit it at the moment. I don't know. I forget how they did that. But they had, yeah. they had a magician come in and teach her how to do all that kind of stuff. Yes, we saw that in, 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 in like the documentary. <laughs> well, we know for sure the, the, the coin comes out of her mouth and the, and the candles come out of her mouth. I think the, the cherry pit, because it just gets spit into a, a bowl. I think, I, I think they just did a sound effect. That like the pa-ching sound. But the rest... In the movie, it's all cherry pits. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. As far as I remember. Okay, I have to go back and watch the cherry movie. Cherry pit after cherry, like, blah, blah, And they keep eating cherries, because it's sexual, right? Right. Um, yeah. They took it a little further in the musical version. They did. Well, well, I mean, cherry pits are so hard to see on stage. You'd have to go bigger. No. To get the punch of what's happening to her. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's okay. Go to our list of not listen to songs. Well, besides something, I have one other, or technically two, but it's the the glory of me slash who's the man. It's Here's hands to the freak. Oh, another size. A guy still measured by the size of his leaf, so to speak. Just like it was when this big world began. I tell ya, who's the man? <laughs> that eleven o'clock number that they gave to Daryl. Where I'm like, why? Yeah, it's like, no, give the three witches there their their the eleven o'clock number. They should have a moment after they leave Daryl and he should and, and there should be a moment of, oh crap, what have we done? This is our big moment this this is our reviewing the situation from Oliver. It could even be it could even be like a moment that they have with Jennifer, like trying to break her out of the spell. Yeah, that would, be, that would be great. That would have been great. Like, and he's puppeting her from behind, right? Like this kind of, and so it becomes this conflict. And then they go and they go, "What are we gonna do? I know what we're gonna do. The voodoo doll, right? Yeah. Actually, that would have been great. It shows a little bit of uh fight rather than yeah. yeah. The, there's the, the, that needs developed a little bit. Yeah, it also just kept it centered around the women, which I think is the strongest point of this musical. Like, as much as Daryl Van Horn is fun, the strongest parts of this show, as we've talked about, are the women. So you gotta lean into them more. You gotta give them more moments. Like, even the songs in the beginning, like the intro to Daryl, Yeah, I kind of wish there was a moment where they were interwoven. Yes. Like, so you have a bit of 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 Alex's song, a bit of Jane's song, a bit of Suki's song. Yeah. Like and he's like, and you get this like pandemonium of him going between houses. Yeah, oh my goodness, that would be so great before they figure out that they're all been sleeping with him. I feel like dramaturgically it just needs some work. Yeah. Is do you have any other songs besides uh the glory of me and who's the man? What are the other ones? Go. Most of them. No, uh <laughs> to say I'm like I don't like another night at Daryl's. 
this list but I was like you need it for plot but overall the song's not all that memorable but like again it could be a moment where they're all like it's just Alex's song and I'm like yeah make it another trio this this the show is three women and it that needs to be highlighted like that's the thing that makes this unique yes and I think it was really underrealized by giving them like here is your solo. Oh, you get two solos. Oh, Jane, you don't get another solo in Act Two, but that's okay. Do you yeah. know what? It just it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't work. I agree. It doesn't it? Doesn't work. That doesn't yeah. work for me. So I think, uh, yeah, yeah. So another night at Daryl's. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's not. Yeah, I agree. It, then, it doesn't hit. Like I just. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. A lot of it, I'm kind of like, musical comedies. They're tough. They're not easy. They're not easy to get through. And I think what makes a really great musical comedy, mm-hmm. look at Hairspray. Hairspray is ridiculous mm-hmm. fun, but it also has this massive heart underneath. Darker undertone. Mm-hmm. Same with Mamma Mia. Yeah, there is a massive heart to that show, and you fall in love with their dilemma. Yeah, we don't fall in love with the witch's dilemma. We don't. Well, we don't understand them. We don't really get to invest in them, right? Fully. Mm-hmm. That's why they need to sing all their songs together to show that they're a unit. Yes, individual mm-hmm. but together. To earn that look at me at the end. Look yeah. At me, right? Exactly. Well, no, we need, to, we need to have the three song. We need them to sing together a lot at the beginning. And then during act two, they need to splinter a bit. So when you get that moment of them coming back together, then it's like, ah, okay. I'm getting my sound I want again. Yeah. Like, like act one ends with them the solo. And then it blending together. I'm like, okay, well, why do we should have done that throughout the whole first act? Yeah. And I like that song. I forget what it's called. Oh yeah, the flying song. The flying song. Is it just yeah. called flying? Maybe. No, no, it's called. Hold on, I got it here. I have it in my music. Um, it's called. Oh, uh, I wish I may. Wish I might feel the joy I feel tonight forever. One perfect moment to hold with me still. I wish I may. I say I will. Right. Which is great. But also, very generic. It is generic. Like, oh, I'm living a fairy tale life. And I think these women are way more complex than that. Well, in the movie they are. Yeah. 
like Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer and Susan Sarandon, they have some it's depth to them. It like, is yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we're into our final thoughts of should this be revived, yes or no? I think while the music isn't overly memorable, I think this has, show has great opportunity, both visually and story-wise. Like, there's something in this show. There is grains of, this could be good. You just got to do some, uh, I, 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 as clearly we've shown, there needs to be some major reevaluation of, of the focus of the show and, yeah. and, 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 and recentering of the show. You know what I'm going to say? It needs serious DDD. Yes, it does. It needs dramaturgical due diligence. Yes. Doesn't have that. And therefore, in its current form, is mm -hmm. sloppy. Yeah. And it's, it's sticky. And I don't think, I don't think the story is sticky. I think it's an examination of small town politics. Yep. And the uh, like, how people don't fit in, and how they are alienated, and why they're alienated, mm -hmm. and what happens when chaos reigns in a small. Oh. I don't think we get that, I th and I think you know, um, Fidel as a character needs to go. We don't need that trope. No, no, cut him and and, and and give more time to the women. Yeah, like, and Daryl Van Horn is a catalyst for a larger conversation. Yes. So let's look at the conversation rather than just throwing, you know, big name on it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think because they got Ian McShane, it was like, oh, we got to give him more because he's Ian McShane and he's he's a big name of the show. Uh, and it's like, no, like Daryl Van Horn, what makes him great, especially when you watch the movie with Jack Nicholson, is he kind of just pops in and out. Like he's not the center of the story till the very like end. Mephistopheles. Yes. True Mephistopheles. And, you know, Faust is more about Faust than Mephistopheles. Yeah. Like it makes, it's about his struggle with good. It's like Little Shop of Horrors. Plant has some great numbers but, Seymour. but it's really about Seymour Krelborn and uh, will the meek inherit yeah they're very similar that which of the V-Swift falls in the little shop of horrors category too it does it could be a cult classic if it had a good rewrite yeah autumn I think Mr. Cameron McIntosh we're going to tag you in this yeah. episode and we want you to come reject us because we will happily sit down and Give our thoughts. Yeah, we'll definitely do some rework on this show. We'll give it. We'll give it a bit of a a facelift because I think you got a hit here on your hands that can make it. I think what I love about Cameron McIntosh mm -hmm. is that he has good instincts. He does it's a great instinct to not be involved with that cat's movie. So A plus Cameron McIntosh for that. Exactly. And he he does like he does know what makes a good musical. He does. Very like knows. he knows what the people want. Mm -hmm. And I think this it could be great. It just needs to have complexity added into it. Yeah. The struggle, the intent of the musical is missing. The intent of the characters are missing. Therefore, it's just bland. It's just vanilla. Vanilla. It is vanilla. 
Yeah. And it needs to be spiked with some chili cocoa powder. Yes. Give, give, give this musical a bit of a kick. <laughs> Overall, very good. Yeah, and the original casting of the show was fantastic. You did great. I not beat this cast. Mm -hmm. And I want, I want them to do it again with the original cast and just challenge them to be the actors that they are. Yes. Because I don't, again, I don't, this was not Eric Schaefer's good work. No. I really want to see this, the one he did in 2007, because I think he had a little bit more weight under his belt. And I would love to see what he would have done on his home turf. Because once again, he was on, he was in his theater. So he must, so he probably had some more comfortability and more sway with how the show would have went. So I, I would have loved to have seen that version just to see where it would have differed and how it would maybe the direction would have differed too. Because who knows, maybe a few years have passed and you kind of what saw, okay, this is where I really wanted to step out and make changes. Where, mm -hmm. it wasn't, where I wasn't constrained by a big budget <laughs> and a pressure of making the next lamism phantom of the west end that was supposed to run for eons and eons yeah yeah but yeah interesting yeah, it's too fluffy it's yeah when you look at those big musicals they're mm -hmm. epic yeah they're epic music i don't think this is an epic musical it doesn't have to be epic you, you, you can be good like even guys and dolls or oklahoma which are the musical comedies they have depth and weight to them that make people want to go back and revisit them like Oklahoma as we talked about in season one was one of the first Broadway musicals and yet it's still being worked on and revived today like people are still going yeah. back and digging into that show and it's because of the good book behind the show yes the songs sell the show but the good book that was written for that allows you to go back and do some rediscovering and reinterpretation. This show, it needs, it need, we need to update the book to give it some weight. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. But I'm, I mean, you know, um, Dempsey has talent. There's he no, does. there's no denying that. I mean, Bobby and Schoenberg are working with him and, and mm -hmm. you know, they're two of the greatest composers of musical theater today. They are. Um, so, there's there's something there's ha, something uh, <laughs> there's there's something ellipses yeah um that just there's so much potential in this musical yeah it yeah. just needs that that struggle it needs yes. the struggle and the struggle needs to be more evident yes very good very true so oh, i think we hit the end of this podcast Ooh, that beautiful yeah nail on the head there how, how um, did this one go for so long i know i'm looking at my clock going oh we actually did we actually got into it quite a bit there oh, considering wow. it, you know, this was a fluff show it lent itself to some great um uh discussions it's uh, as long as the show yeah but oh, true um but yeah right thanks for listening to this uh episode four of season two uh we have a special announcement from mr brody weld our lovely composer he has a new single out called mm -hmm. Home Decor, which is a rap about autumn of all things, household furniture as a jump off point because he and his collaborator have been stuck at home together. Well, not, well, not home home, but like they've been collaborating separately, but from home. 
Uh, but we all have, but he has come up with a great new single. It's going to be on their uh, collaborative album. Love uh, and the song is called Home Decor. It's, it can be found on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple Music, uh, all over the place. But it's, it's about furniture, which is really cool. And it's a hip hop rap track. So there you go. I feel like we should put a call out for people to write odes to certain furniture that they are falling in love with during this quarantine period. Oh, my couch, my beautiful couch. Oh, my, oh, my blue leather sofa with the dog <laughs> little stains upon it. There you go. Wow. Something Love. like that. I thought for, just for Brody to promote his, his album. Yes. So what's your favorite home decor? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love there it. Um, yeah, we can't wait to have you back uh, for our next show. So stay tuned to find out what that will be. Uh, in the meantime, though, check out our Facebook and Instagram and Twitter pages all at Before the Downbeat. And as we've talked about, at nauseum, we won't go through the entire tier program of our Patreon, because you can go read that for yourselves. But we do have a Patreon page now that you can uh, be a part of, and that will allow you to get some more behind-the-scenes fun access to us with our top 10 lists, our theater news review shows, our movie musical commentaries. I'm waiting for you guys to make Autumn Rewatch Lee Miz with me. Um, all that great stuff. Thanks everybody for listening in. Uh, we look forward to having you back in the next few weeks. Autumn, where can they find you if they want to get more email stories? I, I'm everywhere. I've not been prolifically on social media. I know you've done a very good job of staying off at drink quarantine. Oh, which is really weird. I thought I would be this, the, the Insta story queen of this quarantine situation, but no. There's still time, Autumn. We're going to be here for a little while longer. Start reciting Shakespeare or something. We'll do that together. At Autumn DM Smith. Or Littlewood Smith. Mm -hmm. Name of my theater company. Love it. And you can find me at all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Uh, thank you again, everybody. And we look forward to seeing you enjoying a piece of musical theater when this virus is over and you're able to get back into theater. But, you know, in the meantime, there's a lot of great musicals being streamed online. So check them out. Check them out. Next time. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Do-do-do-do-do-do. And I'm Ian McShane. And I'm Ian McShane.